The Pulse of Providence with Steph Machado on WPRI.com. Hello and welcome to Pulse of Providence. I'm Steph Machado and it is election season. We have a primary here in the state of Rhode Island on September 8th. And here in the city of Providence, we have a slate of General Assembly races on the docket for the primary. And in Senate District 5, the incumbent, Sam Bell is being challenged by Majority Leader, City Council Majority Leader Joanne Ryan, both Democrats. And we're going to hear from Joanne Ryan later in the show. But right now, joining me is Senator Bell. How are you, Senator? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on. So, Senator, you have had um, one term or almost one term Mm -hmm. in the Senate so far. And you've sort of been a thorn in the side of leadership from the start, right? Your very first day um in the senate i remember you got up and made a speech opposing senate president ruggiero's uh presidency you compared him to a republican and i think you even acknowledged in that speech look like this might cause problems for me uh people said oh you're gonna you know kind of joked that you're not gonna get a good parking spot and you said oh well i ride my bike <laughs> it's okay because i ride my bike to the state house, <laughs> yeah so. So I, I remember that, and I'm curious, looking back on it now, do you think it has affected your ability to be an effective senator and get things done for your constituents at Smith Hill? I don't think I could have been effective if I had voted for the Senate president. I really don't think that if you vote for the Senate president, you can get anything done. I think it really makes it much harder to accomplish things. Look, uh, the reason I voted against the Senate president, though, was not about, um, you know, short-term policy things. It was about the long-term vision of what's right. You know, I'm a Democrat. My district is a deeply Democratic district, and the Senate president opposes the Democratic Party on just about all of its core policy planks. Uh, You know, he has taken thousands and thousands of dollars from the NRA. In his last election, he got an A-plus from the NRA and was endorsed by them. He is obviously pro-life. He was just re-endorsed by Right to Life. Um, He even voted against marriage equality. He voted for Rhode Island's tax cuts for the rich, which are some of the harshest, largest tax cuts for the rich in all of American history at the state level. Only North Dakota has cut taxes for the rich more than Rhode Island. He even said he wasn't so sure, quote, that Donald Trump should have been impeached. And that's not something any Democrat should say. So uh, I guess what I'm then, curious is, I guess what I'm curious about, uh, not to cut you off, because I don't want to go through Senator, Senator Ruggiero's whole record, but I, what I was curious about was that, has it affected your ability to get, get bills passed that your constituents want you to get passed, get hearings for bills that you want to get hearings for. I'm just wondering, what has your time in the Senate been like so far when it comes to, you know, fair or not, when it comes to getting things done that you want to get done that your constituents elected you to do? Well, you know, so so as I was saying, you know, there, there are, we have these very strong policy differences. And the most important thing for ultimately being able to accomplish the real change we need here in Rhode Island is to get rid of a right-wing leadership that pushes the core ideology of the Republican Party. And that is not a fight we can ever win unless we start taking on that fight. And it is something that ultimately we need to accomplish if we're ever going to pass the change that the state really needs. We have to break the machine. That means we have to fight them and take them on. The main counter argument people make against uh, voting for the Senate president is an argument of fear. The argument that if 
or against voting against the Senate president. The argument is that people sort of acknowledge generally that he's a bad leader who's bad for Rhode Island and does not support the core visions and policy values and policies of Rhode Islanders or of Democrats or anything like that. People argue you need to support him because he's powerful and he will retaliate against you if you don't support him. But the reality is people who do support him don't get anything for it anyway. Real, you know, it's not like uh, freshman legislators, you know, take Mark McKenney, who's been a conservative, who's loyal to the leadership. He owned, and you know, you want to look at bills people passed. He passed some perfunctory local bills. My district needed a local bill. I was able to get it passed. People told me I could never get a bill passed. That wasn't true. And, you know, the only other bill he got passed was a bill that was going to pass anyway. That wasn't one of his bills. It was a secretary of state bill and it was given to him so he could have his name on a bill. But, you know, there's more than just having your name on bills that are going to pass anyway. What really, I think what people in my district care about is the policy change you make. And I made a strategic choice that I think is 100% correct, that you it's get vastly more done by fighting to stop bad things from happening than by trying to sell out everything in order for a small chance at a very small, uh, you know, bill with your name on it. You know, what it's not, it, it's not. It, it, you know, I've, I've been able to, to get all sorts of policy done. The leadership generally tries to keep my name off these things. But, you know, because I've been willing to stand up to them and fight, I've been able to stop all sorts of things. You know, when a Rhode Island version of the Trump tax cuts for the rich passed the Senate Finance Committee, I was the one who went to the leadership and told them, look, do you really want to put this bill on the floor? Do you realize what it is? Do you want people to defend it in primaries? And you know what? They pulled the bill from the floor. So what's your goal in a second term um, if your constituents send you back to the state house? Um, you sort of staying the course? Are you trying to are you trying to make the Senate a little look a little bit more progressive? What are your goals and why should voters send you back? Uh, damage mitigation. You know, people in my district are really, really suffering. And the Senate machine really wants to push, the Senate president really wants to push brutal, brutal, brutal cuts. And if the machine has its way, we'll see devastating cuts to schools. We'll see absolutely devastating cuts to Medicaid, devastating cuts to Providence that a lot of people aren't even willing to stand up and fight. You know, our own mayor isn't even willing to stand up and fight against cuts to Providence and cuts to our schools. So, you know, we really need people who are willing to stand and fight. And that means, yes, it does mean taking on the machine in this state. But my goal, once again, has to be stopping bad things from happening. And I might not be able to win these fights on my own, but all, all I can promise my constituents is that I will fight as hard as I possibly can for them because Providence is worth fighting for. And if we do not stop these devastating cuts, the pain will be brutal. And we only have to look at what happened last time around in the last big crisis, the Great Recession, when the General Assembly slashed taxes for the rich by 39%. And to pay for it, they cut everything. And it wasn't just at the state level. They slashed the city budget too. Um, that was when the car taxes went through the roof, mostly on poor people um, and middle class people, because the way that the city did it, they gave a net tax cut to people with expensive cars. Um, and uh, so they had to jack them up even higher on people with cheaper cars. And they laid off every single teacher in the city of Providence. They closed school after school after school, and our schools have never recovered. And it could happen again. And when the cuts came down to the Providence public schools a little more than two months ago, that was just in anticipation of cuts in the state budget. Cuts we haven't even passed yet. Cuts I will never personally vote for, but it shows how real 
this threat is, and it shows how important it is that we stand up and fight back against it instead of going up and saying, okay, we're just going to support the machine in everything they do so that maybe we will have a chance of having a bill that would have passed anyway, you know, to have my name on it. I, I, I just think that's a really easy choice. So let me ask you about the budget. Um, obviously, there's a large budget hole. Um, there was, you know, you, the, the General Assembly did not pass a budget in time for the July 1st start of the fiscal year in hopes that Congress would come and, and help. Um, Congress has not passed a new stimulus bill to of help course. out um, states and cities. And so at some point, um, assuming that doesn't happen and the General Assembly comes back and, and tries to get a budget done, um, it's clear you oppose um, cuts, widespread cuts that are going to affect um, I do. schools and, and other services. How would you close that budget hole? And I guess, and I've read your 19 point um, plan and your different ideas. Some of them are really interesting and you acknowledge that some are more realistic than others. But mm -hmm. I'm curious, what is like a realistic way to close the budget hole? I think raising broad-based broad taxes is probably a little unrealistic in an election year, but, but, but correct, but, but please argue otherwise um, if you think so. So what, what are your realistic ways to close that budget hole without making cuts that are going to affect people's lives? Look, in a normal democratic state, repealing the tax cuts for the rich would not be a politically controversial thing. It's only politically controversial because we have... Uh, a hard right Senate president and a hard right House speaker whose policy views are largely the Republican Party's policy views. That's the only reason why it's at all politically controversial. And even many people, I'd say most members of the state Senate actually believe that we should repeal the tax cuts for the rich. It's just the extremist hard right Senate president who's blocking our ability to do the right thing here. Now, I have put forward ideas that I think people uh, in the machine may be more willing to listen to, more conservative legislators may be more willing to listen to. Um, you know, I really believe the pay-go shift, which the governor has started implementing uh, in some of her proposals, uh, is perhaps the best compromise approach if we want to find something. It's, I don't think it's anyone's preferred option, but I think I put that forward because I thought it made sense as a good compromise. Explain really what that is for our viewers who haven't heard of pay-go. Sure. So in Massachusetts, um, the state legislature funds uh, transportation, roads, and a lot of capital and infrastructure investments through state bonds. So for instance, Massachusetts is currently working on passing an $18 billion bond. They passed a $12.7 billion bond in 2014. They do it about every five years. And uh, that winds up working out to significantly more per capita than Rhode Island's entire outstanding general obligation bond uh, load. So that's how most states uh, typically operate to fund capital infrastructure. Rhode Island tries to pay for it all upfront with taxes. And we are able to shift more of our road infrastructure to bonds uh, freeing up funds in the budget if we budget basically the way that Massachusetts does. And there's a huge amount of money that can be freed up there. I don't think it's anyone's you know, preferred solution. It's not like we're talking about magic free money here, but we are talking about, um, we are talking about uh, mitigating the short-term pain and keeping Rhode Islanders from absolutely terrible devastation that would really, really hurt people in our state. And I think it's absolutely the right choice. 
I also really believe we can look at the Medicaid shift. Um, you know, that's been proven successful. We did it in the last budget uh, to restore the cuts to the hospitals. We have massive investments that we need to make in our healthcare system, and we need to fund those. And the Medicaid shift allows us to fund it at no cost to state taxpayers whatsoever, entirely with new federal revenue. So I really believe we have to look at that. Um, and the other great opportunity there is it gives us additional leverage with the nursing homes to make sure that the funds flow to the workers. So I, I think that we need to look at the Medicaid shift as a really good opportunity for uh, making the investments in our healthcare system that we really need to make. Because we cannot forget that at the same time we need to stop cuts, we need to make investments in helping people because Rhode Islanders are struggling. So I think the Medicaid shift is a great opportunity there. Uh, there's a long list of other things I put forward as ideas to address this crisis. Um, and people will say there are no alternatives. That's often the, the excuse people use to make brutal cuts. So I felt like it was really, really important to document in detail what the alternatives are and uh, put forward ideas about how to fix uh, this crisis without hurting the people of our state. Are there any cuts that you would support to fill this budget hole? Absolutely. So um, some of the ideas I put forward were cuts. Um, I really think that there's a lot of waste in our capital budgets specifically. So uh, I think the proposed new $35 million state police barracks in West Greenwich is a bad idea, and I think it's a waste of money. Um, I have uh, argued that we, the way that the privatized, new privatized IT contract to basically do a new version of UHIP for child welfare, financial services, HR, is a disastrous idea. Uh, we should not do these extremely expensive privatized contracts. Instead, we should build them in-house as any normal large entity corporation. Uh, you know, even, even in corporate America, they do it this way. Corporate America would never outsource something like that. And when they do, it's a disaster. Um, so I really believe that that's privatization gone wild. We've seen what a disaster it was with UHIP. We don't need to do it again. It's a massive waste of money. The governor has been pulling back on that, and I really want to commend her for listening on that. You know, I know it's a big thing for her to pull back on, but I really cannot commend her enough for listening on that uh, suggestion. So that's a huge amount of money there. Uh, I've also suggested uh, in my own district the... Uh, you know, people in, in this district called out for a 610 Boulevard, and an awful lot of money is being wasted in the state budget, rebuilding a highway that the people of this community don't want, that severs uh, my district in half, that slices off neighborhoods, that causes so much blight, that causes so much noise, that causes so much air pollution. There's a massive asthma crisis in Olneyville because of this. And in fact, increases traffic times. It's outdated 1950s traffic planning ideas that are wrong for our city and waste enormous amounts of money. And I really believe that we don't need to continue spending hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars finishing a project that people never wanted in the first place and doesn't make wouldn't sense it, for our community. Wouldn't it cost more money though at this point in the project to no. scrap it and say, we're gonna reconfigure this entire uh, traffic situation? And there are massive outstanding costs within the 610 budget. Massive, absolutely massive. And the project, a lot of money has been sunk in, but we have not completed the project yet. We were promised that it would be completed now. And, and these things typically get massively extended deadlines and that's exactly what we're seeing. And there are massive amounts of outstanding costs. I wanna ask you um, about defunding the police, which is a big issue in Providence right now. 
Um, and I say this with uh, noting that your um, competitor, Joanne Ryan, actually has to take a vote on the Providence budget later this year. As a member of the city council, you do not have to take an actual vote on the Providence police budget. So it's a little bit more hypothetical for you. But my question is, do you support um, cutting the Providence police budget, uh, knowing that that would likely mean fewer police officers in the city? Because as we know, 90% of the budget is um, salaries and benefits. Well, to make it less hypothetical, why don't we talk about the state police, which is something I absolutely do vote on. Sure, but I want to know your thoughts on Providence Police also, because I know oh, your okay. constituents care about that. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's not like we don't have police at the state level. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I really have sure. called for uh, uh, strategic reductions in funding of the state police. You know, I really called out their overspending in the budget by 3.6%. Um, that was one of the things I called out when I voted against the supplemental budget. Uh, and, and I put forward many suggestions for ways that we can reduce spending within the state police, such as the $35 million new proposed barracks. I also believe that our state police, to some degree even more so than the city police, are overly focused on street policing. The state police are heavily focused on highway enforcement, which exists, in fact, partially because of the very poor design of our highways and um, the uh, speed limits that nobody follows anyway. And the way that we've set up our highway system partially feeds into additional state policing costs that I really believe we can reduce partially through careful restructuring of our highway system. And I think that uh, there is real opportunity not only to reduce spending on the street police and the highway enforcement within the state police, but I do think that we need to reinvest in uh, cracking down on financial crime, political corruption, money laundering, uh, which are areas that we just don't take seriously in this state. And the state police don't do a nearly good enough job of cracking down on them. And it's something that not just pervades our whole political system, but is a serious plague in this state and something that we really need to take seriously and the state police are not focused on addressing and need to be. And we should reinvest within the budget on cracking down on those crimes. Within the Providence Police, uh, there is considerable waste. Um, I think I'm more familiar with the specific details of the state police budget, but I do believe that there is uh, wasteful spending on additional militarized equipment. I do believe that within the staffing of the state police, I don't want to take away anyone's pension. I will never support cutting anyone's pension or their benefits that they've been promised. However, I really do think that there isn't too much of a staffing focus on street level policing, on targeting smaller arrests, and not really enough of a focus on the more effective high level crime fighting techniques. There are a lot of unsolved murders in Providence because we don't really invest in detective services enough. And I think when we talk about defunding of the really harmful police services, it's really important that we also talk about a restructuring of the budget to make sure that we are more effective at refocusing on uh, actually addressing crime. Um, I really believe that organized crime is another area where the Providence Police need to be better um, when it comes to enforcement. There is considerable organized crime activity, of course, in my district and people still you know, remember a lot of the brutal shootings that happen because of organized crime violence. And we really need to do a better job of combating that. And part of refocusing away from street policing, you know, we had that scandal where the Providence Police 
basically entrapped um, uh, opioid uh, people suffering from substance use disorder into low-level arrests. When we talk about moving away that from that- Kennedy Plaza that you're referring Kennedy to? Plaza. When we talk about moving away from that kind of policing, it, we're not talking about ending you know, crime enforcement. In fact, we're talking about saving money for the city and refocusing on the kind of things that really reduce crime. Rather than just going at the street level, we really need to focus on taking a more high-level look at crime. And those methods are effective when you really invest in them. Do you think there should be a police academy? There's one scheduled for this February, um, but if there is a cut to Providence Police, that might be one of the first things to go or get reduced to bring more officers I, to the city. I think the way that we currently do police academies, we're not training police to do the right kind of policing. And we should not move forward with the current academy until we found a better way to structure the academy. Um, I want to move on to schools. Do you think that schools in Providence should reopen in person this fall? I cannot say until I know what the numbers look like. I certainly don't think they should reopen on the current timeline. Uh, however, if the numbers do continue to fall, I'm a scientist, you know, I really look at the data. If the numbers looks like this, we've turned the corner on the second surge, and I do want to commend the governor for really listening. Uh, and uh, and turning around. I think she reopened too fast, but also I think that she listened when we spoke out about her reopening too fast and made a course correction. And I really think we can now see that in the numbers. And the numbers are continuing to fall again. It looks like we've turned the corner on the second surge. I really hope so. Um, but if that trend continues and we really see these numbers fall, maybe we will get to a point where we could have some kind of initial stage safe reopening. You know, I would like to believe that we could get there. Certainly, I don't think we can get there by September 14th, uh, but I do think it is possible that we can get there um, at some point towards the end of the fall, if we are lucky and if we avoid any early continued loosening and we, we pull back, we avoid pulling back too fast, we may get to that point. I hope we get to that point. I really hope we get to that point. But I, you know, it's possible that we don't. It's possible that the numbers go up to the point where it just won't be safe. And, you know, a teacher in my district told me something that really stuck with me, which is that distance learning was a disaster, she said, but I don't want to die. And I really think we shouldn't lie. We shouldn't be putting people's lives at risk. Um, and my last question for you, Senator, is um, about the COVID-19 pandemic more broadly. Providence has seen um, more cases per capita than, than a number of other municipalities. Mm -hmm. and, and your neighborhoods that you represent in particular have seen um, more cases mm -hmm. than other zip codes in the city. So what more can we be doing? Um, what's the, you know, it's been a number of months now to sort of look at all the different strategies. What should Providence be doing um, more of or start doing to continue combating the spread of the virus? Yeah, I mean, I really want to commend the council leadership um, and the mayor uh, who backed them up for pushing for stronger local protections in Providence. I think that that was absolutely the right approach. Um, you know, I know I disagreed with my opponent uh, for voting against those protections, uh, which I thought were absolutely necessary. I think that that's really the right approach. And uh, Providence needs additional protections because we do have higher rates. 
So we should put in place additional protections. We do have the authority to do so. It is unfortunate that some of the conservative members of the council um, have fought back against these protections, but they're needed. Can you be specific? You think Providence should have, should implement more restrictions? Because right now we're, Providence is sort of in line with the state in terms of what's open and what's not open. You think Providence should have a little bit more restrictions right now? Absolutely. Like such as? Well, so it's a very complicated thing. There are a lot of specifics, and I think you need to make evidence-based decisions. But in general, I think Providence should be a little bit behind the state's reopening schedule. I thought the state's reopening schedule was too rushed. Um, and because Providence has higher numbers, we need to take an evidence-based approach to really digging into the science. Um, but I, you know, I generally, I thought that the council leadership's proposal was a pretty good proposal. I don't think we should be, you know, uh, at uh, shutting everything down, but there are places where we can look at additional restrictions and we have to make sure that we balance all these concerns. Uh, when it comes to doing business closures, we do, I think we do need to do a better job of making sure that the businesses are compensated because it's not their fault. Um, but I really do believe we can do more. Thank you very much. That's all the time we have. Senator Sam Bell running for re-election um, in Senate District 5. Uh, stick around. Coming up next, we will speak with Senator Bell's challenger, Council Majority Leader Joanne Ryan. Welcome back to Pulse of Providence. Joining me now is Providence City Council Majority Leader Joanne Ryan, running for Senate District 5 as a Democrat. Thank you for joining me, Leader Ryan. Thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. So I want to know first, you know, you are in the middle of your city council term. You're not up for two years. Um, you could have run for Senate in 2022 when your term ends, but you decided to run now. Um, what is it about the incumbent, Senator Bell, that made you decide you wanted to challenge him in a primary right now? I think we can all appreciate these are difficult times. I've earned a reputation on the council for working uh, diligently and collaboratively to bring people to, together to address uh, problems, um, critical problems that are facing the city. Um, and quite honestly, I believe that the um, people of Providence need a senator with a record of accomplishment, a senator who will put people before politics, a senator who will focus not on uh, only on big pic picture issues, but will never forget the day-to-day -day concerns of the families. And people are stressed. COVID-19 has hit our families, our businesses profoundly. I bring a unique package of, of skills to the table. Um, I've an MBA, I have an MBA with a concentration in finance. I have um, over 30 years experience in the financial industry. Bringing people together, collaborating is my style. I've accomplished a lot in the council and it was a difficult decision for me to make to leave the council at this juncture. But these are critical times. Uh, and I think that people, leaders uh, need to step up to the plate uh, and address the concerns. Our families, our businesses are struggling right now. And I think 2021 is going to be worse. And I'm curious about your decision to leave the council because we know as a city council person, you're really in there with sort of the granular details, right? People c call you and they say, my, my street's not plowed. There's a pothole here or you know, there's a new bike lane that went in, which we know was an issue that, that you dealt with in your ward on Eaton Street. Um, what is it that you'll be able to do for your constituents as a senator that you can't do as a council person? Well, um, I serve as the vice chair of the finance committee. I serve as the uh, chair, um, 
chair of the ordinance committee. And quite honestly, my entire time on the council, first of all, fixing potholes are, is a DPW job. That's the mayor, the administration's job. Um, uh, as a counselor, I focused on things that uh, broadly impact communities, families, the people of my district. Um, I've focused on, on smart, sustainable community development, affordable housing, uh, community-centric policing and better schools. Those are broad topics. Um, I am a legislator. I, I don't fix just potholes. If potholes don't get fixed, I'll be sure to call the mayor's right. office. And that's what I meant. I know that you don't fix the potholes. Yes, People no. come to you with sort of their granular day-to-day -day issues, right? People um, reach out to their council people. People reach out to their council people to be their advocates. And I've built a reputation of, for advocating for what my community needs and wants. Um, but I also focus on the big picture. I've passed the, the Plastic Bag um, uh, Reduction Act. Um, I worked on, I lobbied and passed Board of Licensing Reform. Those were street, sweeping pieces of legislation. But the reality is, Steph, the city gets its uh, authority largely from the state. The state um, drive most of the biggest portion of our revenue stream comes from state aid uh, and state legislation. So we have to work within uh, parameters established by the state. I've bumped into those ceilings. I've bumped into those walls. I know intimately because of my legislative work on the council looking at broad issues that impact our economy and our environment on um, that I want to get up to the state house and make meaningful change sit down and work work for people as I have done in my past and uh, not play politics what would be the first piece of legislation you would introduce if elected um, well I think obviously surviving the COVID-19 crisis with as, as little um, you know loss of, uh, of life um, as possible is, is, is paramount. Loss of jobs, loss of quality of life. Implementing real education reform is going to be one of my first priorities. Um, we need to give local educators and families more say in how our children are educated. But more importantly for Providence and what I know intimately well, we need to change our funding formula to reflect the needs of the majority, um, of our majority minority school population in Providence. That is hurting us. I want to fight for um, ELL, more funding for um, ELL uh, education. Um, all of the uh, a package of education programs, universal free lunch, state aid uh, for uh, school maintenance. And I've passed and fought for um, all funding uh, uh, resources to improve the uh, structures of our schools. We need to fix our schools and we need to work together collaboratively to fix our education system. We've got fabulous teachers and they certainly prove themselves. Teachers and staff, um, during uh, when the pandemic hit, I was absolutely uh, impressed um, at the heroic measures um, of our teachers to, to develop um, uh, um, in-home learning, off-campus learning programs. Um, they've done a great job um, and that, that's important and that kept our education system running. Um, but we need to do more. We do you need think, a plan, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just saying, do you think that school, since you mentioned distance learning, do you think that school should reopen for in-person learning this fall in Providence? 
That's, that's a very good question. Uh, and that is really the hot topic of the day. But I think first and foremost, safety of our students, our teachers, our staff is paramount. Our teachers and administrators, administrators as I said before, um, they've you know, created, they've been absolutely heroic. They've done a heroic job in, in creating an effective distance learning program. Um, and that was critical. That was a critical need. So many of us had to adjust almost, you know, immediately to a new normal. Um, I am concerned about the COVID numbers, and I think everyone shares those concerns. We watch them closely. They are rising. In my opinion, quite honestly, Steph, um, I think it may make sense to start our school year with a distance learning model. And if the numbers adjust accordingly, on, we can switch over to in-class learning. But right now, the numbers are on the rise um, and we're watching it day to day. How do you think the state takeover of the school district is going? Um, the city council, including yourself, did not object to it when there was an opportunity at the time last fall. It's now been um, almost a year of the state having control of the school district. How, how do you think it's going so far? That's one of the reasons why I want to get up to the state house because the state is controlling the most important component of our economy, and that's our education system right now. Um, we need the state to change our form, our funding formula, and we need to ever have all of our elected officials working together to solve the problem of our education system. It's broken. It's not functioning. Massachusetts, we are lagging behind um, in our education system. That's wrong. We can do better. We need to do better, and we need the power of the state, um, the state house, state legislation to help us fix the problems. At the council level, we funded everything we possibly could, infrastructure uh, improvements. Uh, but again, I think that we need, you know, there's a, uh, a study that was done, charter course, stay the course. Massachusetts picked a curriculum. They collaborated with parents, with teachers. They picked a curriculum, they stuck with it, they funded it. Uh, we have switched curriculums year after year, administration after administration. Um, you know, mayors, um, you know, council people come and go. We need to collaboratively create a curriculum that will last and will serve our children uh, well uh, to prepare them for the future. And you think you'll be more effective at that um, absolutely, on the hill absolutely. than you are in the city council? It's um, a state, the state controls the funding formula. It's got to be fixed. I think that is the systemic problem at the state house um, or with the uh, education system. Um, your opponent, um, Senator Sam Bell, has had one term in the Senate. He has shown himself um, sort of from the start to be sort of a thorn in the side of leadership, a little bit of an antagonist. Um, so far, Senate leadership has donated to your campaign, um, as have the Senate leadership PACs. Um, do you see yourself um, more in line with Senate leadership politically? They're a little bit more moderate Democrats. Senator Bell is to the left of them. Do you see yourself um, in line with Senate President Ruggiero and McCaffrey and Senator Goodwin? I work hard to represent my constituents. I have a proven track record of doing just that. Um, I have, um, my campaign has won a growing coalition of people committed to getting the work done for the people of Providence. Uh, just because someone makes a donation to my campaign or endorses me for that matter, doesn't commit me to a vote or a particular, particular policy. 
My only commitment is to the uh, residents who elect me to, to serve them. Um, I truly believe I'm a public servant. I am not a politician. I don't play politics. I never have, and I never will. That's not why I started. That's not why I ran for council back in 2014. I ran because I thought I could make a difference uh, and help my community. Uh, and I'm running for state Senate because the problems are graver. Um, we need to dig out of this COVID-19 pandemic problem. Uh, and I, utilizing the, the, the skills that I've, I've uh, earned as a legislator in my background in finance, I think I'm uniquely positioned to help address some of our concerns. We have to rebuild our economy. That is going to be job one. But we also need to focus. And my, my focus will be on our economy and our school systems. Do you think you would vote to reelect Senate President Ruggiero to his position if he wins his race? I'm not committing to that, Steph, just as I didn't commit to vote for one particular uh, leadership member, uh, excuse me, council president. I need to get in there and I need to understand how people uh, will work together and who is going to work best with me to deliver for my community. Since you do have a finance background, I'm curious, um, the state is in a budget hole right now um, because of the pandemic. There was thoughts of waiting for Congress to pass some relief for state and city budgets, um, but that has not happened. How would you close the budget hole, whether it's something specific that you would cut or new revenue that you would raise? What, what ideas do you have for that? Anybody who can sit here with a helicopter view and say, I'm gonna cut this or slash that, isn't being pragmatic. Um, I believe I'm, I'm pragmatic. I will look at the budget as a whole. Basically the city and the state right now are on a month to month basis with, with budgets. Um, you know, a budget is a work plan. You need to try to figure out what resources you have and, and what resources you need to have. There's the must haves uh, and the would like to haves and in, in critical times, we need to focus on the must haves to keep the government running as efficiently and as, as effectively. I know Congress, uh, you know, is, is, uh, is, is working to uh, pass another stimulus package. I think that's critical, uh, but we can't wait. We need to continue to focus on what can be done. Um, and I'm anxious to get up to the state house and dig into the budget and ask the difficult questions and help find additional or new re revenue streams. Um, to help plug the budget or make up the difference. Are there any specific new revenue streams you would support, whether it's taxes or you know marijuana or sort of all these ideas that are sort of perennially thrown out there? I've said before the marijuana question, um, you know, on the campaign trail. I've said before that um, we do need to look. We can't continue to increase taxes to plug a budget hole. We have to look at efficiencies of operations. That's job one. That's the first thing you always look at in any uh, budget operation. Are there redundancies in service? Um, what are we spending? Do we need to spend that? Can we cut back? Can we level it or phase things in? Those are the things that you do to manage a way out of a budget hole. As far as new uh, revenue streams, absolutely, I think we should look at marijuana. Um, um, the reality is our, our neighboring cities, our neighboring states, um, um, allow sale. And our residents are crossing state lines to buy marijuana and then bringing it back. And uh, it's unregulated in our cities, in our neighborhoods. 
we get countless calls from neighbors complaining of, of uh, pot smoking and, and um, quite frankly, we don't benefit on, and it's unregulated in Rhode Island. And that's a problem uh, because it's so readily available without regulation, our community suffers. So we need to look at that. We need to look at, um, to look at it and see if we can make sense of it for Rhode Island. And I think with appropriate internal controls, alcohol is a controlled substance. I think marijuana uh, should be a controlled substance and it should be regulated. And with the improper, the, the proper controls, I think we can make it work. That's one stream. Um, you know, we've been, um, we've been relying on, as a state, on gambling revenue. That's way, way down. I don't think we're ever going to get that back. We're certainly not in the short term. Um, and as I say, I think 2021 um, budget is going to be really, really tight. And we all need to work together. I've got a background in collaborating, bringing people together to, to create common sense solutions to real problems. You will, regardless of the results of your Senate race, you will likely still be in the council when Providence's next budget is passed, assuming that yes. happens before January for the fiscal year that started um, on July 1st. Uh, would you support um, decreasing funding to the Providence Police Department, knowing that that might entail a decrease in personnel since that's the majority of the budget, whether that means not having an academy or, or you know, losing officers by attrition? Would you support a cut to the Providence Police Department budget? Um, I think I mentioned previously, when looking at a budget, you have to look at things holistically. So, and that's what we're doing on the finance committee right now. Um, looking at every uh, revenue stream, um, looking at all of our expenses, tightening our belts to try to make sense out of it. Again, we don't know what we're gonna get for state aid. Um, that's a big piece of, of the equation. Uh, we're gonna have to deal with that. But I can say that I'm very proud. One of the priorities for me um, when I started on the council was reestablishing a rainy day fund. By charter, we're required to have a rainy day fund. Um, and over the years, through the difficult times, uh, the rainy day fund wasn't funded to the degree that it's required by charter. I kept pushing in every budget that we had a rainy day fund, that we build a rainy day fund. By charter, it has to be, uh, um, uh, it has to be uh, refunded each year. Um, we've dipped into the rainy day fund just to get out of this budget season. So um, uh, budget is, again, it's a work plan. As far as uh, uh, I know there's a defunding the police movement, we need a police force. When a woman is attacked in a home uh, and she calls 911, we need a policeman to respond quickly. However, I think that we've realized uh, that there are social service needs and the council finance committee particularly is focused on um, trying to figure out what model for social services makes sense to support police because we do not need a police to respond um, to every call. There right. are social service needs and they are growing. This pandemic has pointed out for sure that you know families are stressed, people are stressed. Um, we need more uh, social service funding. And I will support uh, building a social service model to support the police structure. As far as um, funding for the police, um, our police ranks have depleted over the years. 
the force itself has felt the stress that's also impacted our communities. We've got an uptick now with COVID-19 in, in crime, petty crime in our neighborhoods. Uh, we need police officers, um, but we need, our, we need to provide the training. The budget, the budget was cut in prior years and training uh, budget was cut. We need to make sure many of our police officers, I've actually put through a resolution that passed unanimously to provide ongoing training for our police. Um, when we have a bad night in our house or we're stressed out with, with you know, family matters or um, you know, just life uh, problems impact us, we can call in sick or we cannot go to work or we can get the help we need immediately. Um, police officers often strap on a gun after they've had a bad night or they're having stress in their lives for whatever reason. Um, they need to have support services as well and they need to have ongoing training for de-escalation services. Providing that professional level of expertise will help them be better police officers. But also, you know, I'm very proud that we passed, this council passed the um, Community Police Relations Act um, that had languished in committee for years. That's taking police reform in, in creating real solutions. That um, Community Police Relations Act actually funded PARA, which is a community, uh, independent community oversight board. Uh, when we passed um, uh, the Community Police Relations Act, it was heralded as the most progressive uh, police reform act in the country. Um, and I believe it was a good act. I believe that PARA is acting appropriately. Um, and I'm proud to have worked on that. Uh, Councilwoman Harris, she came in the same year I did. We were freshman council people together. Um, she shepherded that through. Um, and uh, she taught me a lot. And, and we worked hard. We also need to reform our police officers' Bill of Rights. And that's another reason why I want to get up to the state house. Can't do it at the city level. We need uh, representation at the state house to do that. Do you think PARA, um, they've complained about sort of being stymied in some of their efforts to get investigations done, to get access. The council recently had to issue a subpoena to the police department so that PARA could uh, view a video for their investigation when, as you said, you guys passed an ordinance to give them these investigatory powers. So do you feel like they're um, uh, able to be effective like any new operating uh, organization, they're learning, they're learning how to, to work and to be effective. Um, again, PARA was created years ago and it was never funded properly. This council, I'm proud to say, funded them. And we said, we need to get this uh, PARA funding and we need to give them the tools they need to succeed. We funded them properly. And when they bumped into an issue with investigatory authority, the council swiftly moved um, to, to uh, give them the authority that they requested. So we support, the council supports it. Um, I support them. Um, and again, it's, it's, uh, it's, a it's a component of an appropriate policing, community-centric policing model. My last question for you, Leader Ryan, um, your ward includes um, one of the zip codes that has some of the, you know, the highest rates of COVID-19 cases in the state per capita. What needs to be done further to contain the spread of the virus where you live? 
Well, early on, I saw those numbers and I became quite concerned. I'm proud to say that the first testing site in Providence was right in the fifth ward at Rhode Island College. We created, we opened the uh, drive-through, the first drive-through COVID-19 testing site. We need to make testing more. That's now closed though, right? That site? Yes. Uh, we, but we've, that was the first because we needed a high volume location that was central. Mm -hmm. um, but there are testing sites we're opening them regularly we need to do more um, we need to have the ability to test people quick uh, fast testing um, so that we can identify where the problems are we need to encourage people to wear masks we need to get masks out we need education about mask wearing um, that helps Joanne Ryan, Majority Leader of the Providence City Council, running for State Senate District 5. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Stephanie, thank you very much for the invitation. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And for everyone watching, this is Pulse of Providence. We'll see you next time.